Welcome to the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan, and on this podcast, I will be speaking to inspirational individuals who specialize in the field of physical and mental health to offer you the tools that you need to become a stronger, healthier, and more confident man in today's world. Hello and welcome to episode number 63 of the Modern Warrior Podcast. Today, I've got Kurt starring with me. Kurt is a leader of men. He builds communities to help men and dads reach new levels in their lives. He's also the host of an absolutely epic podcast. Please check it out after listening to this called the Dad Work Podcast. That's dad.work podcast. Um, some brilliant episodes on that. Go and check it out. And also his Instagram is full of incredible value for men and fathers out there. So I've uh, come across uh, Kurt on his Instagram some time ago. I checked out his podcast. Some, As I said, some brilliant episodes. I listened to his, his own story and it really resonated with me. And it's going to resonate with many of you listeners right now you're going to take massive amount of value from this conversation whether you're a dad whether you're a, a young man who's someday going to become a dad this is going to be incredibly valuable to each and every one of you so stay tuned and uh let's introduce the main man kurt how are you doing doing very well like really really good man i really appreciate uh that we get to have this now because my energy is just phenomenal <laughs> excellent what are you drinking <laughs> <laughs> a lot of water man that's it good stuff yeah good stuff happening i know that uh i know you're a big advocate for uh meditation is that is that uh the big energizer for you or you know lately the energizer for me is just like life is clicking like i'm I'm actually coming to the point where I finally believe and I'm confident that I'm doing it right. And that's hard for me because I always have this in the back of my head. Well, you know, I, I think I'm doing it right, but I can always do better. And I think that's why I've got to where I am because I'm never satisfied. But at this point in my life, things are just clicking so well in my marriage, in parenting, in business, in, you know, friend relationships, that it's almost this culmination of what's been like literally 10 years of this journey now. And the confidence that is coming from that is just like, oh yeah, this works. Like this really, really works and life can be awesome. And even when it's not, I can roll with that. So man, I'm just like, I'm really steeped in that right now. And of course, you know, meditating obviously helps to notice all of that. Uh, but it's just this like massive life energy. I, I want to tap into that more. So maybe we'll get into that. I don't know. That's unreal, man. I think the big thing to take away from that is it's taken you 10 years to get to this point. <laughs> yeah, overnight <laughs> success, 10 years to make yeah, it. This hasn't, uh, this hasn't been an overnight thing yet. And as I said, I, I listened to your, to your story on, on the podcast there, your, your introduction. And I was listening to it thinking, well, that's, that's me. Like you were a, you were a dad at 23. I was a dad at 26. Um, both quite young dads who ultimately we did not have our shit together um, in our own lives to then, become responsible for someone else's life and it's it, it brought you on this journey of uh of healing perhaps or what certainly self-work i know you began to meditate journal you then we're going to fast forward a bit you went off and you traveled the world you spoke about an episode in thailand where you both basically broke down not once but twice and over there you had what you call the the wake-up call 
where you started to make some significant changes in your life. And it's been a journey ever since, I believe. Yes, all all very accurate. And I would say it's interesting that the, the wake-up call was in Thailand for sure. But I think the only reason that that was the wake-up call is because I'd finally started doing the work to notice that it was a wake-up call. Because in the first couple of years of being a father, like it was miserable. I knew that it was miserable, but I didn't even know there was another way to be. So I was like, okay, well, this is just who I am. It's terrible. Uh, I hate it. I don't like doing this. Uh, I'm really annoyed, you know, when my kid interrupts me at work and all of these things were changing, but you know, I had no tools. Nobody talked to me about life being anything but what you get. And like, all I had seen in my life was people running from problems. So I was like, okay, well, I am pretty sure I don't want to do that, but I don't know what else to do. So it was only that I finally had done what you said, which is, you know, a couple of years into being a father, I found meditation and that was through business. Actually, it's like, oh, I'm going to be way more productive if I meditate. Sweet. Let's crush business. And it just so happens that when I started doing that, I caught myself one day and I didn't yell at my kids the way I usually would have. I was like, oh, something is here. And so in that journey of noticing, and I think that's very important for all guys to understand, like you have to notice what is going on to make any changes. You have to notice how much you suffer. You have to notice how much your actions lead you to suffer, to hurt other people. And when you can actually notice all that, then you can start to own it. And we talk about this in men's groups sometimes. There's this process of noting something, which is like, oh, right. And then owning it, which is like, oh, yeah, that is my problem. And then finally, it's like transforming or dropping or alchemizing, if you will. And so I think in Thailand, it was a culmination of the first two. Like I noted it and then I finally owned it. Like, oh, no, all of these things are my problem and you know, my fault in a sense, my responsibility at the very least to fix them. And so that was the... The, it wasn't like a, an easy turning point for, by any means. It was like perhaps the hardest turning point, but it was certainly one of these, I see now what I'm going to lose, which is everything. Like even I was so, I was struggling so bad that, you know, my business, which was online SEO, affiliate marketing, like super hands-off that was starting to suffer. And my marriage was suffering and my parenting was suffering. It's like, I will lose literally everything if I don't sort myself out. And so I think that was finally when it hit me. And then, yeah, everything after that, including more rock bottom instances or episodes, um, you know, continued to at least lead me along the right path. Cause now I knew just how dark things could get, like just what the consequences were of me not doing my work. So I think like in a meta sense, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now so that guys can get there before they get hit by that Mack truck, if you will. Uh, so it's like, oh, maybe I should start paying attention now so that it's not like, you know, everything's terrible and then I have to pay attention. And then by then it's too late. So anyway, that's a, the, the long and the short of the Thailand episode. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I, again, I can relate to that too. And although I haven't gone down the sort of meditation route, I, I've certainly, I'm certainly a big advocate for, for journaling. I've been journaling for maybe three or four years now, something I started doing. And I think, you know, meditation or, you know, there's many different forms of it. I'm not familiar with all of them, but I'm, I know there's many different forms, but ultimately it's, it's for me, journaling and having a bit of time in the morning of peace and solitude it's about shutting off the noise on the outside it's about removing all the distractions and by turning down the volume on the outside so i can turn up the volume on the inside and pay attention to my thoughts and my feelings and my emotions and then my way of processing that is to write it down and to begin to make some sense of what i'm actually feeling and if there are con consistencies there with potentially a, a negative feeling or a negative emotion, then I'm, I'm, 
I'm having to explore that a bit more in my in my life and ask more questions or have the discussion with someone who's perhaps um, creating some sort of conflict in my life or if I if I let myself down to a certain extent with my parenthood that I go back and I talk to my kid, my daughter, my son and say, hey, about that yesterday. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. You know, I shouldn't have said this or, you know, that and it's it, you carry that with you. You know, you carry these negative emotions with you on a, on a regular basis. And unless you make that time of create that time, create that time of peace and solitude, then you're going to be oblivious to it. And then over time, it just continues to, to weigh you down and to hold you back from fulfillment, from happiness, from peace. For me, peace is the goal. It's not, you know, a certain income. It's not, not, not even happiness, but it's peace. I think happiness comes from peace. So I create that time of peace and solitude in the morning so I can have a more peaceful day, peaceful life as I move forward. Otherwise, as I said, these, this external or sorry, this internal chatter or narrative will continue to impede my my uh, my happiness and my peace as I go throughout the day. So that perhaps is a form of meditation. But I know you're also a big advocate for journaling. So do you do both? And I think breath work as well is something you brought in. And I was thinking, okay, um, does he do all of these in one day, or does he? started the breath work once or twice a week and he does the meditation every single day or what's your sort of process when it comes to this internal work on yourself? Yeah. And I think what you touched on there is generally not that it needs to be specifically meditation, but that it needs to be intentional mindfulness. And I know for a lot of guys, it's hard for them to just sit and meditate. And I still think it's a, a good idea for a lot of guys, but even walking without headphones in, even doing yoga, even exercising without headphones. Like I forgot my headphones at the gym yesterday and I was like, oh no, this is going to suck. But it was actually way better. And it's like, oh damn, I'm going to miss out on podcasts, but at least I'm going to get a way better workout now. So I think I'm going to like intentionally forget them from now on just because like it's it frees up the space to be there and do something. And so as you were saying, freeing up time in the morning, that's when I do my stuff. So I will typically get up and I will stretch and I will meditate. And sometimes rather than meditation, I'll do like three rounds of Wim Hof. And I'll just do some breathing and get into my body. And it just feels amazing. And um, occasionally I will do a longer, more intentional breathwork session, which is usually one to two hours, uh, typically guided because that's, I mean, it's almost like a spiritual experience, man. Um, if you've never done conscious connected breathing or like holotropic breathwork or something like that, I suggest getting a guide or a facilitator because like really crazy stuff can come up. It's almost like, it's almost psychedelic in nature, to be honest. And it's deeply, deeply, deeply healing. So I, I don't like to do that more often than I need to, uh, just because it's so hectic, but yeah, journaling comes at least every night, sometimes throughout the day as well. So Every night after I do everything, uh, right before I go to bed, I will fill out this app that I got called Dailyo. Super simple. You just like pick how your day was, uh, like one through five, good to bad. And then you write out like what was in the day and you get to select which things you did in the day. So like, did I exercise today? Yes or no? Was I a better father than a than a worse father? Yes or no? Was I a loving, supportive husband? Or did I kind of ignore my wife? Um, and, you know, did I hang out with friends? Did I work? I do all this kind of stuff. And then I just journal, like, what's real? What needs to come out? What did I learn from the day? All of that kind of stuff. But man, I've got like, 
I can see in my office right now, like five different journals or notepads because I'm constantly writing. You know, I just like, I can't have it in my mind because it feels like a tornado, right? There's just all this stuff flying around in my mind. And unless it gets out, I'm going to go like, oh no, everything's terrible. And I got to focus on a million things at once, but you write it out. And it's usually just like a conscious dump. Okay. Like anything that's in my mind goes out. I ask questions. I write down questions. And lately I've been answering them until there's nothing left, which takes a long time sometimes, but I just exhaust it. And that way it's like, okay, this wasn't important in the first place, or this really is important. And I got to do something about it. So for me, it's just like, whenever it comes up, I know some guys do like morning routines and I'm sure maybe this is the right show to talk about it. Like as a father, it's harder to do the sort of four hour morning routine that a lot of these, you know, single or childless men that I, you know, at least I'm colleagues with do. And so I've done my best to wake up really early to get all my time in. And even so I can't do all this every day. So I do my best to stay intentional, but that did require doing it every day to start. So I built a meditation habit by doing it every day. And I still do that most every day. I built a journaling habit by starting out doing it for like 30 days straight. And then it just became something that was easy to pick up. So I think there is use in doing it every day. But again, man, as busy parents, as busy men, uh, you got to be able to like pick and choose what's going to serve you. But that in itself is an intentional mindful practice. Okay, I've got five minutes. What am I going to do? Scroll on my phone or journal? Am I going to meditate or journal? Like you got to pick what you're going to do. And even in deciding, honestly, even in deciding not to meditate, I find that meditative because I'm noticing and I'm choosing not just like, oh crap, I'm going to be late for the gym. You know, I'm consciously making an effort. So that is generally my strategy for the day. Wake up early, stretch, meditate or breath work or journal or all of them. If I got the time, hit some exercise, run, go to the gym and then get into work. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love the way you put that across because it's it's so important because uh, even having all those good intentions can become counterproductive because it's actually adding more stress to your life to feel like you've got to get all that shit done before you can begin your day. Like a four hour. That was so bad for me, man. Yeah. So damaging. Let me just, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm going to jump in here. It's so important. Go ahead. Uh, So I used to do all of my like meditation stuff to get to the next thing. I would just do, 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 do. It was like a a checklist. I got to meditate so that I can stretch, so that I can journal, so that I can crush everything in my life. And like, I never slowed down enough to get anything out of it beyond the sort of surface level. I was like, oh, this is pretty good. I'm learning a little bit of stuff, but it actually took, I don't know if this is like necessary to go through this, but it took a failure in my life, which as a sort of perfectionist, I never really let myself do because failure meant that like, not only did I fail, but I was worthless. So this was a story I was telling myself. I finally failed in business in a way that I thought was quite bad. And in the time that it took for me to sit with that failure and thank goodness I had men around me to support me because I don't think I would have done it otherwise. I called coaches. I called my grandfather. I called my men's group. I had all these people be like, dude, it's okay. We got your back, but you got to sit in this. Don't run from it. So I was like, okay, shut down the business, laid off people I had just hired, told all of the potential customers that like, oops, sorry, we're not doing this. Saw the tens of thousands of dollars go down the drain. And I was like, okay, here's what it is. And I just sat for like weeks doing nothing productive, but feeling what I felt. And in that like couple of weeks, which extended into like a six to 12 month period, everything that I had been like, go, 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 go over the last six, seven years hit me. It was like, oh man. So I had to sit with all of that stuff 
rather than just keep doing. And it wasn't until I could sit in stillness with no expectation of productivity that all of it started to make sense. And so now I see that failure as like one of the best thing that's ever happened to me because it finally got me to chill the flip out and like slow down. And in a culture that does not rewarding slowing down, especially for men who are like a type crush it as I identified with, like, man, I would never have got there if I didn't get forced to sit down and feel what I was feeling, even though it was like really gut wrenching. I hated it, but it was so necessary. So I just want to be like very clear for guys who are checklisting this, if you will, to do one thing, to do another, to do another, to do another, like slow down. One of the most productive things you can do is literally nothing. If you just like, I was challenged, right? I saw this challenge by this teacher named John Wineland. And he's like, the challenge for this week is to sit for an hour and do nothing. And I was like, what kind of challenge is that? And you go and do it. And it's like, oh no, I can't do this. This is the worst thing in the world. No phone, no meditating, no journaling, nothing. Do nothing. And that's almost impossible because we are so glued to like instant gratification with phones or checking stuff or messages or like likes on Instagram that if you can just slow down, that becomes like a superpower I found at least. Yeah, you find the internal reasons for all your behaviors and your actions and ultimately your life. And if you're not satisfied, you'll find the answers for the reasons why you're unhappy in those moments of peace and solitude. And that's something I mentioned actually yesterday only is uh, to move forward in life. Sometimes you've just got to stop and be still. And for me, that's my opportunity in the morning. That's my stop and be still opportunity, you know, instead of getting up, and just racing into the day, onto the first meeting, onto straight into work or straight into looking after the kids. It's like, hang on a second, check in with yourself before you start checking in with the world, because whatever you're going to do today, it's your responsibility and it starts with you first. So again, that's the importance for me. That's the importance of the, of the morning routine and the morning routine. Yeah, it does get bastardized an awful lot, but it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be for feckin hours like it's i mean take 20 minutes and squeeze as much juice out of that 20 minutes as you possibly can you know take 20 minutes to just sit there have a coffee in silence before the day, the day begins you know start simple go for a 20 minute walk just do something for yourself in the morning time to fuel you up and by doing that as i said it does have a ripple effect on improving every, every other aspect of your life but yeah again it's something i can i can relate to and thanks for sharing that with us it's uh you know this hustle environment this you know the um get after it get up get going you know hit the next level yeah there's a time to do that but there's also time to stop and be still and to reflect i think that's something else you've you've uh, highlighted there in terms of your evening journaling you know that's a, a sort of reflection for the day because we're often neglecting the progress we've already made you know we go to bed and we're beating ourselves up over what we didn't do instead of reflecting and understanding all the all the good we did throughout the day. And it could be something simple as having a conversation with one of our kids. It could be something simple as we went for a walk with a friend today, talked to them. It, it doesn't all have to be related to work and productivity all the time, which I think a lot of men get caught up on. You know, if I'm, I'm, a, I'm a failure if I'm not successful with my business or not successful in my career. I'm a failure if I'm not making a certain amount of money. I'm a failure from not driving the newest, fanciest car, you know, and it's, 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 it's a sort of lie we've all been sold by society. It's quite sad. And I think I've been there. I'm sure you've been there too. And 
understanding that nothing in the external world is going to address the internal wounds or the internal pains that that you carry with you on a day-to-day basis so again that's the importance of stopping and being still yeah yeah the the thing that comes up for me there is um identity and i think that in a world that doesn't accept or encourage men's emotions if you will it's only too easy to put out that identity into the external world and even in, I asked my granddad this one day, cause we, we have like bi-weekly chats, which is amazing. And I said like, why do old men get old so fast? Like, what is it? Like suddenly you can't operate a remote suddenly, like you don't even know how to turn your TV on. Like you haven't heard of anything new in the last 20 years. And you, you know, kind of just doting, doddering around your house now. Like, how do you get so old so fast? And he said that a lot of the men that he sees uh, have attached all of their identity to their careers. So for example, you know, he was a VP at uh, a large company and he felt important. Like he had people answering to him. He had to go to meetings. He dressed nice. He had the car. He got the car phone in the nineties. Like, oh, everything was just like, so, so amazing for him. And then to retire and be like, well, who am I now without any of these things? Like that is a great way to look at it. And I think guys who are still in that won't see it until they get out of it. And then they're just like, oh, now I'm nothing. And so I think it's important for men and especially fathers to help in their sons to identify what is your true identity and what makes you valuable outside of what you do. Are you valuable for who you are? Are you valuable for the father that you are? Are you valuable for the man you are simply by virtue of your existence? Are you living a good life? And so I think as men, we should be finding places outside of the external validation, as you say, to really like love ourselves. And that is so impossibly rare to find. And that was one of the hardest parts of my journey going like, well, yeah, well, if I'm not successful, who am I? No one. I'm a nobody. I'm a loser. Like that was my self-talk for so long. And it still nags at me sometimes. But as a father, like one of my biggest uh, goals is to help my kids identify their inherent value so that no matter what they do, they're like, oh yeah, I I failed. I'm not a failure. I'm just going to keep moving on. Like that is resilience. That is self-worth. That is confidence. And that is like, that's something that they will not need to run from or numb or find external validation for. And I think that is one of like my greatest gifts that I can give them if I succeed is like, yeah, you're good enough by yourself just because you're you. And man, if other men and the sons and probably even daughters of men today could learn that, all of this hustle and need to succeed and grow at growth's cost and progress for progress sake, like that would go out the window. And I think we'd be a lot less uh, upset and depressed and anxious and miserable and potentially even suicidal. So yeah, man, I I think that's like a huge role that needs to be filled both by elders, uh, but also by like the dads and the other men in society, just build each other up for being useful as, as men, not as employees. Like, Oh, what a terrible way to be like, oh yeah, I'm a good employer. I'm a good business owner. Therefore I'm good. And when I'm not that I'm nothing gross. Sounds terrible. So that's like one of my biggest things is just self-worth and self-love. Yeah. That's so important, man. Thanks for sharing with us. And, uh, it's incredible that you're having these conversations with your conversations with your grandfather. I mean, you've got, uh, someone there who's, who's wise beyond your years, man. And someone who can offer you a massive amount of value as you move forward towards the years that you have ahead of you and uh incredible and yeah just while you were 
talking about that in terms of um, men feeling that they're only important due to their career or due to their successes, their external successes. I was thinking of uh, the Shawshank Redemption, funny enough, and of Brooks, who uh, became institutionalized. And when he left, when he left uh, Shawshank prison, I'm sure you've seen the movie, haven't you? Yeah. Ages ago. I, I'm not as familiar, but please continue. Yeah, you've got it. Well, you've got to go watch it again. There's so many life lessons in it. But that's one. Brooks leaves leaves prison. Brooks, Brooks, he, he left prison as, as an old man, but uh, in prison he was somebody. You know, he was the librarian there. He was valued as an individual. He leaves prison and he's he's a nobody. And I think we've all become somewhat institutionalized in in society, in our careers, in our businesses. And just as your grandfather mentioned, you know, you don't have the business, you don't have the job anymore. And you're nobody. So yeah, it's, it's quite, it's quite sad really. And uh, you know, that many men fall into that trap and continue to do so unfortunately too, but it's to understand that, you know, there's more to life than your business. There's more to you than your business. So yeah. Where, where do you begin there though? With, with men who are perhaps so caught up in career in business in external success, where do you, where do you sort of come in from your perspective and help them to understand that, Hey, Hey buddy, you know, understand that this is not what life is all about. It's, it's not, it's not the be all and end all. So is it just a matter of coming and say, Hey, stop, ask questions, evaluate your life. Are you completely satisfied with where you're at? Do you feel like you're lacking to help them understand where they're currently at, to help them understand the potential discrepancies that they have within and to move forward with that understanding or do you advocate some sort of different approach begin meditation yeah so well yeah that's (laughs) i always start literally like my my course my men's groups it's like guys start meditating uh but i think there's two angles to to think of here at least and these are just the ones that are coming up um the first one is like i think we should encourage men to start taking a little bit more time for themselves Um, because even as a father, like, what if your kids leave? And I'm thinking about mothers here too. Like your kids leave the house. Are you going to be like crushed? Will you have an identity after that? So start doing things for yourself now that allow you to see like, oh yeah, I do have a life outside of being a parent, outside of being a husband, outside of being uh, an employer or a business owner. Um, like so many dads think it's noble to sacrifice everything for the family. And in some sense, yes, there is noble sacrifice. Sure. That is part of the job, but that's not the whole job. If you're not showing up with your cup, even remotely full, you're not going to be able to fill up the cup of your wife, of your kids. And so to go out and actually do something for yourself because you matter and you're going to have a life after everything else that's in your life right now, that's perhaps the actionable step number one. And after that, um, I, I typically like to come into like, why are you doing this? So you've got the what? Okay, here's what's happening. Okay, then why? It's like, oh, well, I don't know. Like, why are you working so hard? Why aren't you able to sit with yourself? Why do you keep running from your feelings? Why do you feel unsafe sharing your feelings? Like, why all of these things? And that is where mindfulness comes in. Meditation, journaling, um, you know, working with therapists or counselors or coaches, especially, have been really good for me. Um, Like, doing all that stuff to figure out, okay, yes and why. And you'll probably get to this thing, which is like, oh, it's kind of uncomfortable. You're like, okay, that's the answer. But then it's like, no, 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 why that? And eventually, at least in my experience, if you ask why enough, 
and it could take years, I'm not going to say this is an easy process, uh, you'll probably come to like this fundamental core wound. And for me, I'll just share like my fundamental core wound, as far as I know, and this is, you know, me being in it. So who am I to necessarily judge or perhaps the best judge? I'm not sure is like, I have this deep fear and pain of abandonment. And I think that comes from my dad leaving the family when I was three. And so here I am, dad leaves three years old, internalize it, probably my fault. Uh, if I could just be better, people wouldn't leave me. And then, you know, my mom got really sick. So she was gone for this part of my life. And it was just abandonment after, I should say perceived abandonment after perceived abandonment because trauma forms in the perception, not in like a, you know, a, a physical abuse necessarily. And so in that, I finally got back to that point being like, I haven't moved on. Like, I actually feel kind of like a three-year-old who just wants his mom and his dad back. Like, oof, man, that is, that's hard shit to un, like to unpack. And there's a lot of work and you need a lot of support and a lot of time and self-love and forgiveness to, to get to that point. So I think it's great to have crutches, if you will. And I did this with parenting too. Like, okay, what do I do? I'm going to follow this parenting system of mindful parenting. We used um, this one called Rye Parenting. Uh, Janet Lansbury has a blog. I don't know if people are interested, check it out. Um, but we use that as a crutch. Like if your child does this, then do this because it will help them build emotional intelligence and you'll get better. It's like, okay, great. But I'm still triggered when they do this. So what's the underlying issue? Why, why, why? And that is what you have to do to figure out why you can't operate in a way that's self-loving to begin with. So yeah, spend time on yourself and then spend time digging into yourself would be where I would go first. Wow. Yeah. Again, thanks for sharing that with us. That, that is extremely traumatizing. I'm sure that has had been extremely traumatizing for you um, to have your dad walk out and to not have that. Um, yeah. That, that male role model, perhaps. I don't know if someone else came into your life after that, but maybe your grandfather. Yeah, he, he stayed in our lives, uh, but with multiple different families. <laughs> he, he kept trading up, if you will. So there was a, a you know an affair and a divorce and they were with him on and off. And then uh, there's multiple relationships. So he was there, but yeah, it really ruptured my expectations and my trust. And yeah, I would say that, you know, having a grandfather uh, like mine has helped tremendously. And that's why I think there's so much value in finding mentors and honoring elders and even asking people in your life, if you don't have that um, relationship with them right now, ask for that. And maybe we should start expecting it of them too, uh, in a sense, without being you know too pushy. But yeah, I think that's uh, very helpful in why I didn't go fully off the rails just to have some level of support. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's a big reason why a lot of men are lost right now as well. And a lot of men are seeking mentors and men who can help guide them through the challenges of their life or their internal trauma, their internal pain that's become to light because, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's been, uh, a lot of absent fathers in our, in our lives. You know, I know your dad walked out, but for a lot of other men as well, <clears throat> their dads were in their life, but not in their life either, you know, not there, um, especially not there from a, an emotional perspective in terms of emotional support or helping them to, to process whatever um, difficulties were going on in the, in the child's life. And it was all sort of on the mother, which she did her best, but, you know, potentially was not the, the best person to guide a young man to become a man. So um, yeah, something I can relate too very much and i've had to go there myself um it's not easy um my first uh 
my first ever childhood memory was uh, was also being left behind. Um, yeah, I'll tell the story real quick. But you know, whenever uh, whenever I was like really young, I used to live next door to my grandparents, and my my aunties, and there was like a large family unit there. But one thing I really enjoyed was actually going to mass every Saturday evening with my parents, and <laughs> that's changed uh, over the years. But uh, used to love going to going to mass, going to church. Uh, was a we were we were a Catholic family. Um, but I must have done something. I must have stepped out of line in some way on on the Saturday morning or afternoon. I was only three years of age, I think, at the time, and that was my punishment. You're not coming to mass with us tonight. Um, you're staying here. Not allowed to go. I still remember like crying hysterically. I think hysterically whenever my parents actually left and went to church without me and. Uh, I had my auntie there at the time who who came in and soothed me or comforted me um, during that time. And it's it's still a very vivid memory. I still remember actually uh, sitting there crying, eating a, eating a chocolate yogurt. You know? So it's amazing. And, it, and I think, you know, that's that's a big reason why I still remember it, because it was it was it was quite dramatic for me at the time, although it may not seem that way as I, as I tell the story, it was, it, it cut pretty deep to have been left behind. And um, it certainly had some sort of a impact on my life as I move forward. And it's interesting how the pattern evolved from there, where I would almost go for women who were somewhat emotionally unavailable and at the same time, I would att- attend to my own emotions through other um, forms of soothing, such as porn. And I had a porn addiction for a number of years. And it's just interesting how the dynamic of my, say, my mom leaving me behind, how that was perhaps a woman that was potentially emotionally unavailable for me. And then my auntie coming in to soothe me and how that sort of replicated my behaviors as I, as I became an adult, as I became a teenager. And yeah, you're thinking, oh shit. All right. Not oh shit, but oh wow. I mean, <laughs> now I fucking get it. Uh, now I understand the roots of my addiction or the roots of my, um, my pain and my trauma and my behaviors. And that's where you can then move forward with this new self-awareness and understand like, once you understand that, you can identify the patterns then in your current life that are perhaps creating something similar within your relationship or within your friendships right now. And that was a massive turning point for me to understand that. You know, there's there's a lot more to the story and to my journey and to my life than that, but that's one significant memory that that um, helped me to understand myself more so and helped me to peel apart all these internal pains and wounds and, and to come to some level of peace and healing with it. So absolutely necessary because without doing so, I would continue, continue that destructive pattern and continue living this very painful life and making decisions that were impulsive and not, not true to, to myself. So yeah, just thought I'd share that. Yeah, man. Thank you for sharing that. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And it's, it's a, almost like a two, two-sided blade when you're a father, 
because you have to go back to your own wounds. And typically they are from childhood. Like that's just, it seems to me factual. I, I don't know how anyone can argue that. Like there are things in our childhood that wound us or that we perceive our wounds that lead us to creating ego-based self-defense mechanisms that serve us to stop us feeling so unsafe. Like literally when you're a kid, the feeling of like being abandoned by your mom and dad is like, oh, I'm going to die now. Like, I'm just going to die. Like that's, I was talking to a guy in my podcast, Alistair Moose, who's like an anger specialist. And he got me to go back to basically this. And I, he's like, so what did that little boy feel? And I was like, oh, I don't know. He's like, oh, so um, what you were probably feeling and tell me if I'm wrong is like, you're going to die. If you are left alone at three years old, what's the physiological consequences? You'll die. You can't take care of yourself. And so we go back there and like, this is typically underlying all of these childhood issues uh, to some degree or another. And so we have to go back there as men to identify and to soothe and to let those defense mechanisms know, hey, like we're adults now, we don't need to be protected from this, we are literally not going to die, thank you for serving me, and that's what you got to do, you got to thank the self-defense mechanism that your ego created, and I've written about this before in my one of my blog posts, is like the self-defense mechanisms and the ego is like the initial act of self-love, like your ego does this to create a safe protective space for you not to feel like you're going to die. But you don't need it anymore when you're out of that situation. So the work in what we're talking about here going back is to not only notice, but then to like heal those wounds, to accept that you don't need them anymore, to thank them for serving you, and then to move on and establish new patterns. And that's really hard because like I, like I shared, I literally felt like a three-year-old. I was like, well, if I'm not three anymore because I've healed this and I've forgiven everything, I'm, like, how do I become a man? Do I have to go through like four or five, six, all the way through to like my thirties? Like that's ridiculous. But I just went there and I did it. But the other edge of the sword, this blade is that we can then see how impactful our actions are on our children. And so if something your mom and dad did, like probably not even thinking about it, scarred you for the rest of your life, what are you doing to your kids? It's going to scar them and you're not going to get away from it. We're all going to you know, mess up our kids. We're going to leave a so-called father wound, if you will. And I think for me, it's the understanding that like, a, I'm very responsible for how they are going to turn out as human beings in the world. And therefore, like, I need to do a really, really good job. And B, noticing that, like, I'm not going to get away from being, like, I'm not going to be perfect. They will have wounds and I have to then, like, how do I show them how to deal with those wounds? So they see me meditating. They see me journaling. They know I go to men's group. I talk to them about this. And importantly, I repair when I rupture the relationship. I apologize when I fuck up. And I think this is just like, it's so hard as a dad to be aware of these things. Cause it's like, well, nobody's helping me deal with my own childhood stuff. Unless of course you join a men's group or a coaching or something like that. And on the other hand, oh, I really got to make sure I don't ruin my kids too bad because I know how bad it can hurt even when your parents aren't trying to hurt you. So there's this like extreme uh, responsibility that I would say an aware man takes an aware father takes into his life for healing himself and his child. Um, so yeah, I think that's just an important note to to finish on or to to touch on there. That is um that's so important. Like the, the yeah, the importance of doing this work on yourself and coming to a level of healing and peace within. It's it's not just for you, it's for your for your children who will eventually grow up to be adults as well. And unless you've sort of addressed your own destructive pattern, let's call it you know, they're going to adopt the same sort of pattern as they move through their life. And, you know, that this cycle continues and it's, you can stop it, you know, and you've got the responsibility to do so. So it's, you're not just doing this for you, you're doing it for the next generation too. So it's, it's so important. And that's one thing that I was, um, 
that's one thing I was quite curious about because, as I said, I was listening to your story. Twenty-three-year-old dad. You were twenty-three when you had your first uh, your first kid, um, your first son, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I was uh, I was twenty-six, and um, I certainly hadn't gone through the process of healing or even been made aware as to my behaviors and my attitudes in life. And I can reflect back on my time as a dad at 26 and damn, I made a lot of poor decisions when it came to looking after my daughter at that time and, you know, got angry when I maybe shouldn't have got angry and had a short temper and did the best I could, but I wasn't, I wasn't my best to be able to be the best for her. So eventually things, you know, things, um, yeah, my behavior got the better of me. So when you reflect back in that time, and I've done this, and uh, do you have some regret or have you some sort of gone through that process of looking back and saying, fuck it, um, didn't didn't do so well back then? And, I'm, uh, and I wondered, did my behavior at that time have a negative impact on my on my child and that that he or that she's carrying this with her today and it's having an influence on her life now as she's a little bit older and getting older you know what how how did you sort of navigate that challenge so to speak yeah well at first it was like intense shame and guilt that was just the first thing that came up it's like oh wow i now that i know that i have got stuff from childhood like I, I really fucked them up. Like, great job. Thank you so much. Like you fucked them up forever. And like, you're an idiot. That was the first thing that I thought. And it took me a very, very long time to forgive myself. And I still see, uh, my kids are nine, seven, and two in the oldest ones. I still see the remnants of my behavior coming out of them. Like they act a certain way at certain times because I was the way I was. And it's a constant reminder and that's one of the hardest things about like so-called healing work is like you get better, but the world that you have helped shape doesn't immediately follow because like they haven't done the work you've done. And so when my kids were like five and six and I was like, oh, I think I'm, you know, better, like they weren't acting any better. And it was like, oh, great. Here you get to practice with all your fancy like meditation meditations. Can you stay calm now when your kids are still screaming at you and you don't have the tool of anger to scream back at them? Because that's how I would do it. I'm out of control. I feel terrible. I'm just going to scream. Too bad. I'm going to be so mean. I'm going to be so big that you shut up and I win. And I was like, okay, once that's sorted, once I'm like, you know, taking care of my triggers, it's like, okay, now I can't do that. But oh my, like, I hate being screamed at. Like, don't scream at me. Don't try and hit me. Don't hit your brother. What are you doing? And it's like, now what? And the now what was this constant reminder, like, yeah, you fucked up, buddy. And that was motivating, but uh, extra challenging to be confronted with when I internally felt like I had done so much good work on myself. And it was this like, oh yeah, but is it ever really going to change? And so it literally took me years to come to the point where I could actually go, oh, like you said before, I was doing my best. It just so happened that my best was horseshit. You know, like I was terrible at this and I had no support and I had no idea how to do any of it. And I didn't even know I was hurting. And so I had to come to the point where I realized all of my wounds and traumas were not my fault, but that they were my responsibility to do anything with. And so when I realized that I was acting these ways because of these, you know, perceived wounds and traumas as a kid, for example, it was like, oh, so if I see my kids born as being 
as close to perfect humans as they can be. Like they haven't done anything wrong, right? They're just perfect little bundles of joy. Like every, they cry and it's like, oh, they need something. That's what I see now. You know, starting out, it was like, oh, stop crying. But now, you know, you see them, they're this perfect and you go, oh, I must've been like that at one point. And what must've happened to me in my life to lead to the man I am today? Like, oof, that kind of sucks. And can I have the compassion for myself that I would for my children if the same thing happened to them? And so I think framing that, and you can do this for all sorts of people. Like if you want to go through a deep father forgiveness wound, if you want to go through a deep father forgiveness process, imagine him as a child and try and forgive him then. Oof, that's like that one hits guys in the stomach real hard when they go through that. Um, And, you know, it's typically better to do that in a group of men and men's group, for example. But man, it took me a long time to forgive myself. But when I did... It was, again, kind of like what we talked about before, this self-love, this understanding that it's okay to be me and it's okay to have healed and it's okay to have screwed up. I wasn't doing it maliciously. I was hurting and man, I should kind of feel sorry for that guy. He was so hurting and so in so much pain that look at how he acted. Like he must've been in intense turmoil. And so I finally able to be like, yeah, I, I forgive you former self and I get it. And we're not gonna do that again but like, you don't have to feel bad for that because it wasn't necessarily your fault. It was your responsibility and you just didn't know. So I think that's probably where I got to where I've mostly been able to drop the frustration and the shame that was coming up and just deal with it now. Like when I see it come up, my kids, when they're still like angry in a way that I modeled, it's like, okay, I see what's happening. I'm just going to be cool with it now. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. I've got a, you've got a nine-year-old, your, your, your son was, um, your oldest son is nine. My daughter, when I was 26, she's, uh, she's 11 now. And yeah, I can certainly, uh, see some of my behaviors coming out uh, in her as well in terms of, um, she just get very uptight or angry about small matters and I'm going, okay, yeah, that's, I know that's coming from, you know, I'd, you know, I'd lose my temper you know, because she didn't do something or she was crying or she was whinging or whatever, or she was kicking up a fuss because I didn't buy her something in the shop. And um, now I understand where that's coming from. And ultimately, you know, it's, it's, it goes back to the importance of doing the work on yourself, but it also goes back to understanding that, Hey, your kids are not going to do what you tell them to do. They're going to do whatever they they show you. They're going to model your behavior. They're going to model your your actions, and that's a, a clear indication of the power of that. But also understanding that okay, as I've changed, as I've become better myself, and she can see that I'm I, like yourself, that you're meditating, that I'm that I'm journaling, that I'm that I have this morning routine, that I'm happier myself, that I'm able to deal with the conflict in a much calmer manner. Um, you know, I sometimes bring her with me to the to the sea where I jump into the sea, the freezing cold water on a daily basis. And I bring her with me just for her to see what I do on a daily basis. Or I might show her some videos of me in the gym doing some workouts and stuff. So I'm trying to, again, set an example for her going forward, a better example for her going forward. Because, yeah, we can't go back and undo the past. We can't go back and unsay what we said. But you can for sure begin to... Uh, to change the future by making some changes to your present and, and ultimately becoming more present with your kids. I think that's something that's so important as well for a lot of fathers, for a lot of men is to be present, put your fucking phone away, 
and just be with your kids. Ask them some questions or just lie in bed with them for, you know, before they sleep and see what comes up, you know, just to be there with them and to know that you are available to them on a daily basis, on a regular basis. It's so important. You know, something I just um, mentioned yesterday was that, you know, childhood is temporary. You know, someday your kids are going to go up and they're going to leave. And you only have a, a short wand of opportunity to really guide them and show them the way and to, and to really be there for them. And to know as well as they become older that if they do have setbacks and disappointments or failures in their life, they can always come back to you and they can always speak to you about it. So there's um there's value in that and in, in foreseeing the, the future and understanding the impact of your present behaviors and how that's gonna influence their life going forward. So yeah, it's um it's incredible. <laughs> if you if you uh if you think you don't have any bad habits in your life, then um just uh keep an eye on your children because they'll expose it for you. <laughs> Are you picking Absolutely. your nose? Oh shit. I pick my nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, uh, yeah, it's so powerful, man. And that's something that I, <clears throat> that I struggle with for a period of time as well. Like getting, getting to the point of forgiving myself for my 26 year old self, 27 year old self. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that, that was perhaps the, <laughs> was quite a significant part of the process of healing is being able to forgive myself for, for who I was. And, that's something I think we're all very guilty of as we go on this path of healing or self-development that we look back at our former selves and say, ah, oh, that fucking loser that, you know, h- hate that guy. You know, I, h- I hated that guy when I was 23. It's like, Hey man, you know, that guy was hurt, broken in pain, you know, was lost. He doesn't need a kick in the ass. He doesn't need to be kicked. He's already down, you know, put your arm around him and say, Hey man, it's okay. You know what I mean? So it's so important to come to peace, you know? Well said. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, man, brilliant stuff. And uh, I've taken a massive amount of value from this. One thing as well is, uh, as I was listening to your story, uh, you did mention her a few times, but, you you know, your wife, how you managed to maintain that relationship during your difficulties, during that journey, during your breakdowns and yeah like her like what was her sort of part or <laughs> in a nutshell how are you still together <laughs> <laughs> uh i well i have no idea uh <laughs> that's the short answer is that like any what i would have assumed from the outside like man i don't know why she put up with me uh but thank goodness she did i think <clears throat> that in what I like to say is we sort of trauma bonded to start like my wounds and her wounds were like, Oh, somebody to play with. Great. Like, let's be friends. And so while like our inner child for each of us were super bonded and it was super dysfunctional. It was chaotic. There was all sorts of craziness the first couple of years. And then as the family started, um, you know, we were both looking back, like there was probably times of depression, huge anxiety. We up like, completely uprooted our lives when we had our first kid, moved to Thailand, moved to Eastern Europe, moved back to Thailand, like all these crazy things happening. And so on the one hand, I think she probably didn't know any better to set boundaries for herself. And we've talked about this a lot. Um, And I didn't either. So like we have had to learn alongside each other how to do this. And I I think there's something potentially lucky, if you will, that just allowed us to grow 
uh, alongside each other rather than apart, which I know a lot of people do. Um, but in the journey, one thing that I noticed was she eventually got really good at telling me like enough is enough. Like, I will not let you talk to the kids like that. I will get in your way. I will take them out for an hour so you can chill out. But like almost every time she would come back to me and without shame be like, oh man, like this must've been really hard. Like I see how much you're hurting. And that validation, like, oh man, I would, I almost hated when she did it. Cause it's like, no, let me suffer more. Like I need my own pity party. Let me feel the shame. I fucked up. I know it. Don't be nice to me. And so I almost never like fully accepted that. But thinking back now, I can just see this endless compassion that she gave to me. And like the the fruits are in our lives right now that in two days we will have been married for 10 years. And man, there's so much work that went into it from both like just being like so connected to begin with and whether that was trauma bonding or not, like it just worked. Um, but then like just committing our, like almost no one in our family has a marriage that lasted, um, especially our parents. And so we are just like, we are not going to do that no matter what, like really no matter what. And, and, you know, for her sake, she came to the point a couple of times going like, yeah, I'm going to take the kids back to Canada. See ya, because this is ridiculous. Get a grip. And that was some of the other sort of rock bottom moments. But man, just this intense commitment to make it work and to really enjoy being with one another and to really love one another. And then just that support, that constant support that she, I don't know how she gave it to me, but man, there, there must've been something that she saw in me that I did not because uh, yeah, that was like Herculean effort on her part to, to stay. And I'm just so grateful that she did every day. Incredible, man. And congratulations on your uh, 10-year wedding anniversary. Yeah, you got married 10 years ago, is it? Yeah. Great. Yes. Yeah, yeah, thanks, man. So congratulations on that. That is uh, an achievement in itself, especially in today's day and age. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, um, that's uh, quite an achievement. But yeah, I think it's uh, like one thing you touched on there is just her her compassion. And you didn't have a lot of compassion for yourself. You're very critical of yourself and, you know, um, eventually, you know, it, it began to flip. It, you began to um, become more compassionate and less critical, perhaps. And uh, I think that's very important as well. A lot of men are very critical and lack the compassion, which ultimately uh, creates more conflict and more chaos in their life. So, yeah, so important, man. And uh, as I said, congratulations and thank you so much for all the value you've shared here, man. I've really enjoyed this conversation with you and hope we can do it again. And in the meantime, uh, where can where can the guys find you and, and connect? And as I said, you do have a great social media. Um, so certainly go and check them out there. Um, so let, let us know where we can find you. And you've mentioned a blog as well. Um, let us know where that is. And I yeah, man, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Th thanks for having me on, man. Like this was, uh, I don't know what to expect, obviously, um, but so good. I really feel connected. Uh, I really appreciate that you're doing this work as well. Um, the best way is just at our website, dad.work. So it's an instead of .com or whatever, it's .work. Um, you can find Instagram. The most active is Instagram, podcast, and the email newsletter, uh, which you can find all over the website. We run men's groups. We're launching, I don't know when this will go up, but in April, we're launching an online community for dads to do training work and brotherhood to sort of do their work together, which has helped me immensely. And um, yeah, we're just continuing to build community where dads can come and like, understand what it means to actually be a good healed healthy compassionate loving but still masculine man partner and father and these are these are fathers from all directions of life are they yes 
Excellent, man. That's that's powerful work. Well done. Thank you. And uh, I like what you did there. Dad.work. <laughs> yeah. Very good, man. Very good. You got that one. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So uh, well done, man. Thank you. And until next time, we'll be in touch. Um, and yeah, keep up the good work. Thanks, brother. <laughs>